what I want to do this morning, we're, we're calling this a, a Colossians reboot, a post-holiday break refresher. We, we basically spent a long time away from this book. And before we do that, you know, a reboot is a restart, right? Uh, after we shut down, we often think of that as computer-related, right? And some of us have watched that little spinny thing happen, you know, a long time, right? So, yeah. And then, and then, uh, no, that, no that, that's a pur- purpose. That, that, I, I clicked that, all right? <laughs> you guys are thinking, <laughs> that was effective. Anyway, <laughs> so we think to ourselves, okay, we got to restart because, you know, our computer's messing up, okay? And by the way, this is really not what rebooting means, okay? That's not how you're supposed to take care of your computer, all right? So this is what we're trying to avoid as we go through the book of Colossians, okay? But anyway, as we think about, you know, where we've been here, as I said, we've taken about a six-week break from Colossians from Thanksgiving up until now. Um, And and that was basically for various reasons, but including, obviously, the the Christmas and holiday season. So what I would like to do is go back over where we have been. And I, I, I want... This to serve basically three purposes as we, as we have, in essence, a, a review here. First, um, I think it'll bring us back into the context of Colossians. It'll help us to get our minds around where we're going to be heading for the next uh, couple of weeks here. But then also to possibly bring those up to speed to a degree uh, who have maybe missed some of the parts of our series. And there could be various reasons for that. I know we have some folks who have just recently begun attending. And so we can kind of reach back a little bit and, and bring everybody up to speed. And then third... It really is going to work as a summary of our study of the book. We don't have much more to cover in Colossians. And what we have to cover is rather topical in nature. It's it's toward the end of the book. We're going to be looking at parents and children and the workplace and then then, uh, some of the ending parts of the book. So a wrap-up by hitting these high points should work here as opposed to, you know, waiting to the very, very end. Uh, So... That's kind of what I want to do today. We're going to be moving relatively quickly, but along with that, um, I want us to uh, just, again, just glean these things. So here's what I'd like you to do. Kind of keep your Bibles open as I'm in different references. Um, We studied these passages in depth. We have been in Colossians for months, purposefully, okay? Uh, We have looked at the different wording that is here. We've looked at the, the ramifications in relation to our church and to us as individuals, all those different things. So as we do that, um, I'm not going to be hitting everything. We're going to be looking at highlights here, not, you know, the full text every time. So it's, again, it's an overview of where we have already been. So you can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit just by glancing at your scriptures for some of the references that I'll be doing. So the first thing that we have here is a heartfelt greeting. Um, Paul greets the church in Colossae with a desire that they experience the grace and peace that is in Christ. He describes these believers several times as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So he's not writing to people um, who are in error primarily, like the, the, the Corinthians or that type of thing. Paul consistently prays for them, he says, and his prayer is an outline for spiritual growth. And so I want to see that. In Colossians uh, 1, verses 9 through 12, we are going to read this part again. It says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you uh, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me pause there for a minute. That heard of it is the gospel. 
and, and the fact that they responded to it, okay? So I want to make sure that we understand that. Because then he goes on, uh, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Folks, again, there is just so much packed in here. We have already unpacked it. But the point is, this is all the things that we are told here for spiritual growth. Paul's purpose for praying was that the Colossian believers would know the will of God and be equipped to do it. That's his desire, and that's what he's praying for them about. And this prayer, again, is a basic outline for how we grow spiritually, right? We need God's strength and, and, and we need wisdom and all those different things that, we're, that are referenced here. So that is the greeting that Paul gave to these people. And then I want to look at um, one of the main themes that we saw, and that's in, in um, chapter 1, is the supremacy of Christ. When we studied this part of Colossians, we mentioned several times that this was Paul's most Christ-centered letter, all right? We think of Romans, which is very, very rich in the doctrine of theology, uh, theology, doctrine of theology, of, of, of uh, salvation and other things. But this one here is really the most Christ-centered as far as just how rich it is in relation to the doctrine of Christ. Uh, this includes both his character and his works. And again, we're not going to be exhaustive today. But we want to look back on the highlights of what we have studied. And so we begin by remembering what Christ has done for us and looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The central theme is God, the Son, is preeminent and supreme over all things, right? And part of that, we'll get to that in a moment, but part of that is that we had this salvation given to us by the Father through the sacrificial work of His, of his Son. This is a gift. Christ is a gift. Salvation through Him is a gift, and it is given to us through the Father. Sorry, by the Father through the Son, right? That's, that's where we receive this gift, who we receive this gift from, okay? And then I got a little ahead of myself here, but in Colossians 1, 15 through 19 is where we see the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Okay, what this is basically saying is even the immaterial things, for example, angels, demons, right? They're all created by him, okay? By the way, they weren't created demons, right? We know that. They fell, just like we did, kind of. But anyway, you get the idea. The point is, is that there is a supernatural world. He created that too. He created everything, right? And, and then it goes on to say, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, in him all things consist. That means that Christ holds everything together. It's an amazing thought. Uh, by the way, nothing for him, but mind-blowing for us. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Last week, we talked about first fruits, And this is kind of in relation to that. Christ is the firstborn. He's the first fruits. He's the first one to come from the dead, which then guarantees that all of us who are in him are not going to stay dead. Right? We have eternal life because of what he did. That in all things, he may have the preeminence, the supremacy, that, that everything is about Christ. Because, as it says, for it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness should dwell. That, that fullness is everything that makes him God. Jesus is God, right? So as we, as we take a look at that, Again, the central theme of this, of this, I got ahead of myself earlier, is God the Son is preeminent or supreme over all things. And again, this includes the natural and supernatural world. All of that is a part of that. So I think we can sometimes get caught up in the, fact, in the facts of teaching and miss who the teaching is about. Okay? We, we can all fall into that to a degree. We need to be refreshed in our awe and amazement of who Jesus is. He's God. We see him come to earth and and yes, boy, we can relate to what he went through and, and he demonstrates for us how to follow the will of the Father. But he's God. We should wonder at his power and glory and sheer magnificence. He created all things and is above all things and holds all of it together. What should ultimately and consistently blow us away is that a holy, all-powerful God chose to have a relationship with us. He gave himself for us. <clears throat> the next big topic that we looked at, which is, which is a, again, a very central part of the book, is the threat of false teaching. I want to begin by looking at a couple of scriptures in chapter 2. <clears throat> the first one is Colossians 2.4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. So as, as Paul is giving his argument, right, for following Christ, he's also saying, hey, I'm warning you because there are those who are trying to deceive. And then we see also then in <clears throat> Colossians 2, 8 through 10, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principle of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay? What I try to do here is, you can see that the slide's color-coded, is basically give you the, the, the three areas of, of, of where this is coming from, right? Philosophy and empty deceit. Traditions of men according to the base principle of the world, but also it's not according to Christ. This is not a message that's coming from the Lord. <clears throat> and it goes on. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. <clears throat> so Paul's primary reason for writing was to warn them about a threat that would later be called the Colossian heresy. Heresy or false teaching. This false teaching was threatening this faithful growing but still young church. This heresy or false teaching was a combination of Jewish tradition and mystical philosophy. It was worldly and not of God. We see that right here in the passage. 
The error of this teaching consisted of several aspects, and we're going to take a look at those. Again, this is in review. Um, and by the way, these characteristics are, are pretty much through and through, maybe not every one of them in every passage, but if you looked at, at what we did before, which was to glean from the scriptures all the different areas that we're talking about false teaching. By the way, if you remember from our study, false teaching was pervasive. It was something that, that the New Testament writers were constantly dealing with. Okay? It was pervasive. It was something that they had to constantly stay on. It wasn't just that people were not understanding something. It's that people were trying to dupe them. Okay? So here's a couple different areas. First of all, asceticism. Rules and regulations or artificial standards that either diminish, contradict, or replace Christ and God's word. Okay? So it's all about what we're doing, and this doing is really over and above the scriptures. Or it's, it's in some additions to the scriptures, or it's a twisting of the scriptures to say, you have to do this, do this, do this, do that. Right? And some of us have that in our background, don't we? There's traditionalism. <clears throat> Special days, rituals, and ceremonies that become either more important than or replace what they are intended to celebrate. Folks, the Jews had a problem with this at one point, right? Because they were going through the motions and God basically told them, don't even come anymore. Stop sacrificing to me because we don't have a relationship. <laughs> You're just going through the motions. There's nothing to it, right? And so that's what traditionalism does. It just becomes rote. It becomes just what we do as opposed to who we are worshiping, who we are serving, what we are doing and why, and it's for him. Then we have sensationalism. Becoming more spiritual through experiences, right? Something big, something exciting, something that can just energize my life. And along with that comes mysticism. They're closely related. Attaining a higher level of spirituality through special insight or secret knowledge. Folks, this was one of those things that these false teachers were promising. They're saying, hey, we got something that's just going to blow your spiritual socks off, Right? I mean, we've got some exciting stuff going on here. You know, Sunday, Sunday, you know, that's kind of, kind of the idea. Come on, this is going to be great. Something new, something different. Usually something that nobody else knows about but the false teacher. And then we have meism. That's an easy way of saying anthropocentrism. Okay? <laughs> A man-centered way of doing things attaining a higher level of spirituality through uh, i'm sorry that's not it worshiping self rather than god that's what we're talking about worshiping self rather than god in other words whatever the false teacher is trying to have the people do it really comes down to elevating ourselves and if we do that in the name of god it kind of feels good doesn't it and i'm not saying it's right but i'm saying that, that's a real easy way to kind of placate our emotions and that spiritual sense that we have in ourselves. If we're doing it, and it's really all about me, but we're doing it under this guise that is for God, that makes us feel good. See, all of these things are related to false teachers. Paul wrote several things to refute false teaching. First, Paul had a purpose in writing about Christ's supremacy 
over all things and his complete sufficiency for our salvation. It was to encourage them and give them confidence in Jesus. So we have this error. What does Paul fight it with? The truth of who Jesus is. Because they were giving falsehood of who Jesus is, of who God is and what he expects. And so we have this very strong argument, which we would then call a Christology, a theology of Jesus, in this book to battle, to go against what they were potentially being taught. Okay? Now, again, just, just to bring this back to our minds, vast majority of, of people who've studied this, and even as we just observe it, it doesn't look like there's, there's, there's a compromise that has taken place yet. It is a threat to compromise, all right? Which, you know, it's there. Second, Paul needed to expose the motives of the false teachers, all right? So first, it was the error of their ways and to do battle with that. But second, it was to, to expose their motives. Their motives were purely selfish and fleshly. And third, Paul instructed them to focus their attention and direct their energies toward living for Christ and living like Christ. Okay? That was, that was what he then wanted them to do. But we can fall in the same traps of false teaching today. I got to tell you, there is an overwhelming amount of false teaching out there. There's a huge amount of false teaching out there. So basically, stick with me. You know I love you and care about you, and I won't steer you wrong. If you're struggling with something, I can help guide you through that. Okay? Now, I need to pause here for just a minute. Maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. But that was just a very subtle, veiled way of turning the attention from the Lord to me. I said that on purpose to show you how easy it is. Because you might have been saying to yourself, oh, yeah, thank you, that's good. No. No, it's not good when I start to say, I'm the source. I'm the authority. I can help you, yes. I'm not the source. I am not the authority. The scriptures are. Christ is. Anybody who takes our attention ultimately off of him is a false teacher. So let's move on. With that said, I want to warn you about the very real threat of false teaching that can harm, distract, or immobilize you. There are the power hungry. They are more than willing to do your thinking for you. And it seems to be that no matter what decade we're in, there are people who are just fine with that. Primarily, followers of those who have this type of mindset just put their minds in neutral and say, tell me what to do. And a lot of times, it falls into this asceticism, this, this rules-oriented stuff. Some of these power-hungry people want huge audiences and mass influence, while others are very content with simply trying to control a smaller group, right? They don't necessarily have big aspirations. They just want somebody to elevate them. <laughs> they want to be in control of other people. 
Others are greedy and are constantly looking to see how they can manipulate people to gain what they have. Now you say, where are you getting this? I'm getting this from the scriptures that we've looked at. These are the characteristics that we brought that we brought out. Now, again, not all are looking to become multimillionaires off of their churches. Some have, and some are. They just want to make a decent living off of other people. If I can peddle my wares, and I can placate you, and I can make you think that we're all doing great things, and I can get up here and kind of wing it on a Sunday morning and, and just kind of make stuff up as I go, but it sounds really good. And you're listening and you're like, wow, that was so insightful. And, and, and we go on and on like that. I don't have to do a ton of work. And I said, it'd be nice to you guys. And you're going to pay my salary. And oh, by the way, I might even throw in sometimes how needy my family is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was back to the other part there. All right. There's another class of false teachers. And we've got the power hungry, we've got the greedy. They can work in hand in hand, or they don't have to. But the other class I'm talking about, their goal is to gratify the flesh. We have examples all around us where supposed spiritual leaders have targeted women, men, and even children for their own selfish desires. They have wrecked individuals, families, and churches. But again, embedded in what we have studied is the fact that that is where some of these false teachers are at. So here's what we need to understand. False teachers are often strong leaders, good communicators, and very personable. Sounds like a good candidate for a pastoral position, doesn't it? Today, we don't just speak, they don't just speak from pulpits, although they do. They can come at you through books, online, through television, and through social media. And this is the problem sometimes with identifying a wolf, because they come from us from so, different, so many different directions. But at their core, there is an insincere, manipulative uh, way that they are lying. And they're only concerned with having their selfish desires fed. Whichever one we've talking about. Could be all the above, could be one. And if it means that they need to play a role, they were, are very willing to pay that price to get what they want. Okay? That is by definition a false teacher. Now, I, I was joking around a little bit before about saying that, you know, that would make a great candidate. But in reality, that's one of the problems. They mask, right? They mask some very um, good qualities that we would want to see in someone who would lead us. Even the scriptures tell us that, a, that a, an elder needs to be able to manage his own household well. Right? He needs to have a good reputation from without in the community. So, so there's, there's things like that that we should be able to see. There's some spiritual qualities that we could put into some of these different categories. 
And so the false teacher comes in as a sheep, but is a wolf. They hide under the guise of being spiritual. We then move to the next area, which was instructions for Christian living. So here's where we've been so far. Paul greeted them, and his greeting was all about, man, I love you, and I want to see you succeed in Christ, right? Then we talked about the supremacy of Christ, the fact that really everything is about him, right? No exception. And then we talked about the threat of false teaching and how really those two things are what this book is all about. We're to be in Christ, we're to know Christ, we're to live for Christ, which we're going to talk about next. But you have some information, Colossians, that's coming at you that is, is designed by these false teachers to eliminate that possibility. They will take you away from Christ. And so we need to have our guard up. So now we're at this area of instructions for Christian living. We're going to start here with the, the old and new man in Colossians chapter 3. It says, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in the image according to the renewed in knowledge, sorry, according to the image of him who created him. This is the core. We're going to look at some verses before and after this, but this is the core that I want to see first as a point of review. The core of his argument is that the old man has been put off and the new man has been put on. This is a historical event, okay? This isn't what he, someone is actively to do. The old man is dead and we are a new creation, a new person in Christ based upon our faith in what Christ has done for us. And we are now being renewed to be like Christ. Do you see that in that passage? The old man is gone, but we're still being renewed in the new man. Okay? When we think of the fact that we are being renewed in Christ, it is essential for the rest of all of that to properly take place. We are a new person, but we are being renewed. So let's talk about this old and new living now. We are a new person in Christ, but we still retain the old way of living within us. We all lived the life of a lawbreaker. It didn't matter when we came to know Christ. We were born that way. And then we acted that out. So no matter our age or our life, uh, our life was characterized by going against God's authority. We could never become good enough on our own to gain salvation. We were lost, spiritually dead in our sin. So that's our picture of the old man. Well, now let's consider the new man. Christ gave his life for ours. He took the punishment and he was the only one who could do that for us. The old person is dead and gone, and we are a new person. Again, that is if we are in Christ. We are free from our punishment and free to serve the Lord. So it's not just a freedom from, it's a freedom to. It's a freedom from everything related to sin and the punishment thereof, 
but it's a freedom too, having that relationship and being able to serve God. Remember, remember what we're told, we're told that, that we can't do anything according to Ephesians 2 to earn our salvation. But yet in verse 10, it tells us that because of our salvation, we are now to do good works. So good works do nothing for life. But once we have it, it's all about doing good works. And that's what we have read in Colossians 1 and now looking at in these passages. So let's look to a couple of verses prior to this. Colossians 3, 5, and then verses 8 and 9. So we're going to dovetail just a little bit here. Therefore, put to death your, uh, your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now again, folks, I just want to keep on noting. We're not going through all these, all these terms today. We've done that. But it's trying to bring this up in your mind or at least bring you up to speed to a degree as far as what we were talking about. So, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and do not lie to one another since you have been put off, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And by the way, just real quick, um, that word blasphemy there, if you look at it, everything else looks pretty relational. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, blasphemy, that's what we do against God. We can, but really it's just... It's just nasty, derogatory language towards someone, okay? It, that, that, that's what we're talking about here. So, so it is a relational thing. So we discussed a while back these things that we were to put off, that we were to put to death within us, and that we were to put off, right? So some things, it's a little more, <clears throat> put these things to death. And the other one is, Put these things up. Put these things away from you. The result is the same, but Paul gives an urgency to eliminating or putting to death improper sexual actions and thoughts. He also includes coveting in that area, which is a sinful desire for what we don't have or what somebody else has, right? These sins can carry extremely serious consequences. So understand here, I believe that Paul is differentiating between the consequences of the sin, not, not whether or not they're more serious than the other, but the consequence of them, all right? Let me just move ahead a little bit here, okay? We see here anger and wrath. You can have a, a really bad argument with somebody, okay? There, there's, there's a consequence to that. You have an affair with somebody, it's a much bigger consequence. You see what I mean? So that's why I think that we have that little bit different in language. But in principle, it's the same thing. So the sinful attitudes and actions that we're to put off are no less sinful, but they may not have quite the same significant impact. So we are presently in the challenging prospect of putting off the lingering effects of the old man. That's what we are in the process of doing. And then we jump ahead to Colossians chapter 3. We're still in the same passage, but starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, okay, remember, this is putting to death. This is putting off, right? Because we're a new person and we're to be renewing ourselves. So we're putting those things off. But then he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, 
bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And just very briefly, that, that put on love was the idea of over and above all these things, right? Wrap all that in love. Love is, is the, the key to those things, all right? So that was, that was again, where we were at. So at, at the same time, we're putting off, Colossians 12 then says that we are to put on these things for, uh, for very specific reasons. We were selected by God positionally. Uh, we were selected by God. We were positionally separated from sin by God. And we are loved by God. Loved by God himself. A loving God desires the best for us. And really, folks, that's exactly what Paul is writing about. He's writing to these believers and he's saying, I want what's best for you. Isn't that the language? If we just brought it down to its simplest terms, I want what's best for you. I want what's best for you in the Lord. Paul wrote a parallel thought to the believers in Romans chapter 13, which I think is really helpful for us. Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is really a summary of what he just told them here. But look at what that summary is. Putting on righteousness is the same as putting on the character of Christ. We commonly call this character godly and Christ-like. Right? That's the terminology that we use. So hopefully some of this is coming back to you. But now I want to make some application. Colossians 3, verses 5, 8, and 9. We, we, we looked at that. I'm just going to leave this up here for you and ask a few questions. How are you going, how are you doing in killing off your selfish sexual desires? How about materialism, greed, and always wanting more? That's that covetousness. Are you continually putting off the character qualities associated with our way of living before Christ? That's that, those other things that we see here with wrath and malice and unforgiving spirit. What area or areas seem to be controlling you rather than you getting rid of them? And what can you do to be obedient to God and live for his, uh, <clears throat> his chosen, live like his forgiven, chosen, beloved child? Remember, that's what he's done for us. This is what we have been confronted with in this book. If we are in fact listening to and observing the truth in Scripture, it should make a difference. It should, it should come out in our living. That's why this is following, knowing who Christ is, knowing who the false teachers are, interacting those two things together as Paul did, and now he's saying, okay, you're Christ's. You're purchased. You've been set apart. Now do this. And then let's switch this over to 
the Colossians 3 uh, passage where we see verses 12 and 14, the things that we're to put on. Sometimes it's easier to stop doing something wrong than it actually is to actively and consistently do something right. Correct? I mean, doing something wrong, there's usually something bad associated with that. But we can miss the blessings of doing what's right. If we're nasty to somebody, or if we're going to take advantage of somebody in some way, and there's a consequence to that relationally or whatever, okay, we're going to pay for that. But if we just don't show kindness, you see what I mean? Not all of these things are necessarily extremely proactive. I shouldn't say it like that. What I'm trying to say is we have to be proactive in doing them. If we don't, the results might not be as consequential. Do you understand? I'm not unkind to you, but I'm not kind to you. You see what I mean? The absence of, of kindness, right, isn't sinful, meaning I'm not being unkind, but just saying I'm not going to be unkind doesn't automatically mean we're kind and fill everything else in. So it's actually doing what we are supposed to be doing. And sometimes it's easier to just not do the wrong thing as opposed to work at doing the right thing. So is there an area that you know you need to put on more? Put on more effectively? Again, what can we intentionally, uh, uh, actively put on in those character qualities? How will putting on Christ improve your relationships? Right? This isn't, folks, this isn't just a carrot. This, this, this is the essence of pleasing Christ. And then how will putting on Christ improve your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Because that's really what Paul is talking about, right? You increase in your knowledge. You increase in your doing. And in all of that, you have a right relationship with him. So where does this bring us to? Folks, we have had a great time. At least I have in the book of Colossians. I hope you have too. It's been, it's been just a wonderful book. Paul's book has provided a rich consideration of the supremacy and the preeminence of our Savior. It, it has been impossible not to see the greatness of Christ as we look at this book. We have been duly warned to avoid false teaching, and part of that process was Paul giving us the truth to live by, right? He didn't just say, don't listen to the wrong people, <laughs> right? He gave us every reason on listening to the Lord, on taking what he says and making it a part of our living and following Christ. Paul also laid out how to properly live for Christ through putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Not just a bunch of do and do's and don'ts. Yes, of course there are things that we are to do and not to do. But it's not just the doing and don'ting. Right? I don't even know if that's... I probably have a couple English teachers out there like, yeah, stop it! Right? Anyway. The primary purpose, purpose of doing this study is for each of us to fulfill Colossians 9 and 10. I just want to leave us with that. 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's desire, of his plans, right? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, not somebody else's spiritual understanding, not a false way of doing things, but in his, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. We don't need anything special happening. It's just good old-fashioned obedience. It's just good old-fashioned faithfulness. It's just good old-fashioned following. That's what we're talking about. Being obedient. Fully pleasing Him. And having that be a happy thought. Something that we celebrate. As opposed to, I have to do all these things. being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what he wants. He wants that relationship with him, that right relationship with him to result in spiritual production. And through all of that, we get to know Christ better. Let me ask you. And for some of you, it's going to be a stretch because I know how old you are. Uh, and I don't mean the upper echelons. Ten years ago, right? You just put that stake in the ground and then move forward ten years to now. Do you know Christ better? Have you put off more? Have you put on more? Right? Now, the one thing we need to understand about this putting on and putting off, it's also active. There is a lifestyle that goes along with it, but let's face it. We are going to be faced with things, both temptations and opportunities, constantly. And right then and there, we have to say to myself, we have to say to myself, you get the idea. (laughs) I have this opportunity negatively to sin. What am I going to do? Am I going to put that off? Or am I going to succumb? Now I look and I have positively an opportunity to have some of these fruits take place in my life. Do I respond to it or do I ignore it? We should be farther along, but we should also be better equipped to respond properly in the here and now. Now, And this is the negative part of this. It's not going to end until we're in heaven. But the positive part is, that's a promise that's already fulfilled. We just don't know it yet. (laughs) It is a hope that just has to be realized. Do we understand that? That's all based upon his relationship with us. So now we have this opportunity to be fruitful to, to, to take our lives and, and, and multiply them out in what he's invested in us and who, he, who we are in him into good works. And then along the way again, we can know Christ better. Amen. Folks, in some ways it's, it's really a... You know, last week we talked about first fruits and about how we, we need to give our first best to the Lord in all areas of our life. 
Well, right here, this is another really kind of New Year's message thrown in there, right? That, that we can look ahead, not forgetting right now, because that's got to happen now. We can't just wait to the future, but we can look ahead to saying, hey, do I want to have a productive uh, Christian life this year? Do I want to gain in what I know about the Lord? And by the way, this is not just theological fact. This is experience. That's what he's talking about here. Knowing Christ is not just, ooh, I just got another factoid that I can... It's important as part of it. But it's actually having that experiential relationship with who he is. Amen. Our God and our Savior, and even as we looked at in the first hour this morning, our friend. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you that you have guided us through this book. We thank you that as we have tried to stay as clear as, as we can to the meaning of the words in the exchange of ideas, that we have seen very clearly that you have some important things for us. Yes, there's a lot of details that we didn't cover this morning, but the big picture is you love us and you want us to, in a, in a proper sense, succeed as one of your children, just like as a parent, we would want our children to succeed in life. You want us to succeed in the life that you've given to us. So Lord, I pray that we not, we not miss our opportunities and that we are careful and disciplined and obedient to cast aside those sins. And Father, I pray that we're careful about who we listen to. That ultimately, our ear needs to be gauged toward your voice. Not some new song that's coming out that is entertaining us into something that would take us away from you. And Father, we want to acknowledge the preeminence of the Son, the great and glorious Savior who laid aside all of that to come and die for enemies so that we could be your friends, so that we could be your children, so that we could be renewed. The old man's dead. We thank you for new life in Christ. We celebrate that today. And Lord, again, as we pray so many times, if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, they know that they have not responded to you in faith, that, that really right now they are still dead in their sins and they have that judgment of yours still upon them. Eternal separation from you, no relationship with you. Lord, I'll pray that, I pray that you work in their heart, regardless of their age, that they would understand that there is no obstacle, there is no reputation, there is nothing that should stand in the way of them and you. You have taken all of it out of the way. I pray they respond to you in faith. In Christ's name, amen.